tonight to our promises. We've been in this series now for quite some time, and I told my wife tonight as we were driving here, I said, I don't know if I can keep going in some of these promises, and she said, well, you better, because there's a lot more, you know. Uh, she said something like that, so I thought, well, maybe we'll keep going with all these. But tonight we're looking at uh, God will guard your mind, and as this relates to this topic here tonight, and we're going to be in the book of Philippians chapter 4, um, in especially the last couple, three years, there has been this just surge in the world of people with mental health issues and all that. Actually, in the United States for the year 2020, that's the last year they, that they have numbers published anyways. It's probably a lot more now. They spent $238 billion in federal funds on just mental health services. Um, most of those were, were dispensed to states like the state of Maine, which in 2023, the Maine budget, which was handed out there in, July, or in uh, January, um, proposed $237 million of state funds to go to mental health and substance abuse programs in the, in the state of Maine. And I, I point that out not for any political reasons or anything like that, but just factually in our world today, there is a lot of problems of the mind. And I, I believe firmly, as a Christian of the Word of God, uh, a believer, knowing this, that we can try to tackle the mental health side of somebody's mind, but if you don't undergird that with the spiritual side, you'll never really get to the root of the problems, and you won't find a solution that lasts. And I know that that's something maybe that the world doesn't want to hear, but it's what the Bible lays out. And, and the one who made us a three-part being, right? The Lord gave us a body, a mind, you know, and our soul, our spirit as well. So you have that mind part of us being the soul, and it is what makes us us, right? And then you also have the spirit side of us that allows us to interact with God. And we're unique among creation for that reason. Um, because we, man, was breathed, God breathed a life into him and, and made him a, a living, really, being. And when he did so, he stamped his mark upon us in that way. Uh, and, and we're unique in that way. But anyways, I say that because there's a lot of problems in the world today. And we're going to be touching on a little bit here from what Paul talks about um, in the book of Philippians. We're going to read these, these verses here. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, <clears throat> whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Lord, I, I am grateful again for the Bible that reveals to us our own condition before you, reveals to us also, Lord, that you are the one that can guard our hearts and minds. Lord, we're in a world that seems to be coming apart at the seams in so many ways, and yet we don't need to because we can have our mind fixed upon Jesus Christ. 
So again tonight, Lord, I ask you to open our hearts and minds to receive your word and, and deal with us in that realm. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible, again, talks about the body, and, and uh, we know from what the scripture says, and I mentioned that we're a three, kind of a three-part person, or a, uh, we have a, a body, a soul, and a spirit. And we know that someday we will be different. <clears throat> we know from 1 Corinthians 15, it says this in verse 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> the body is sown in corruption, It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And Paul teaches on that. That's just one little part of that whole chapter which deals primarily with the resurrection. But what he touches on there is the fact that in this current state, this body, which is corruptible, which when this heart stops someday, it will, you know, go wherever it goes into the ground or whatever. Somebody that's going to be left up for other people to figure out what to do with it. But eventually it's going to go back to dust, essentially, um, if left in a long enough state of that. Because it basically goes back to the elements that we're all made of, Right. And someday God is going to breathe life into that body, resurrecting a new body, really. Uh, and he is going to give us that new body. And it will be reunited with our non-material parts, our spirit and our soul. And for now, though, we live in this body, in the realm of this body, and all the weaknesses of those things. And he mentions that in the previous one. He says, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. I look forward to that day when I won't have any more struggles in my flesh at all including my mind it will be raised in power and that's a promise that he gives us here tonight well we're going to look at that as we go down through this but uh the book of ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 it says and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption so we do have the spirit of god who resides in us and has sealed us for that day and we do carry that with us uh, carry him with us and in Proverbs 23, 7, it says this, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And I'm just going to leave it there, but uh, basically the, the thought is this, that as we, where our mind is fixed, it, we act that out pretty, pretty much. That's the course of it. <clears throat> and there's a lot more that could be said with that. But there are spiritual resources he has given us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Our battle's different, right? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I'm not going to, this isn't the focus of this message here tonight, but to understand that the Lord has equipped us as believers, as Christians, with certain weapons of warfare to take those thoughts captive, whether they're dark thoughts that just bring us into the gloom, or they're thoughts of fear or doubts or those kind of things. He's given us spiritual weapons to overcome that. 
And uh, there, there are a lot of things that the scriptures talk about. And uh, we know that our mind can be transformed. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God would not have put that in the Bible if it wasn't possible. In other words, our minds can be renewed. Uh, yesterday at our baptism with uh, Francesca and uh, Monkham, uh, we were out at the Labby's camp and um, met a smaller group there, but we were there, and, and it was neat when Francesca came back out and she said everything, that, uh, she said something like this, like, all that past of mine is now behind me, you know? And, and that's true, isn't it? Your mind can be renewed and you now can press forward in things. And I thought that's true, 100% true. The things in the past, forgetting those things in the past and pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's, that's our mission, isn't it? We need to do that. How about what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13? Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Peter and, and Paul before him, and we're in the section in Philippians where Paul wrote, dealt with a world that was no more friendly than it is today. That's for sure. I would think even harsher. Uh, a world that was filled with lots of worries. Some of those worries today aren't the same worries that maybe he had, but a lot of them are. And Peter, when he writes this, he talks about girding up the loins of your mind. That means preparing your mind. And I think much of the battle of the Christian warfare occurs in the mind. And that's really where it is. We're defeated there. We yield to temptation there. We end up... Um, being fearful and not doing something or maybe doing something that we shouldn't out of those emotions and everything else it is where all the the fleshly emotions can take control of us if we don't gird up our mind and peter reminds us of that and rest rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of jesus christ that's something present tense by the resting in christ doing that 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of, the po- of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I think during our couple years of COVID uh, panic throughout the world, that was a verse that kept coming back to me. Don't let the fear or the spirit of fear overpower any of us. And there were certainly times where we didn't know what was coming, but we do know the Lord, and we know that no matter what, He can give us a sound mind in the middle of world panic, for example. And we need to have a singular mind. The book of James talks about that. It says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If your mind is is not fixed upon the, the things of God, it will be unstable at best. How unstable? It might be just that you see it, but maybe it's someone else that sees it. It may play out in the fruit of your actions, those kind of things. Anyways, I'm going to talk about some practical ways that we can gird up our mind. And um, they're coming right out of the text that we read out of Philippians. Paul begins here by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And it says again, I will say rejoice. It's repeated twice there. 
rejoice, rejoice. The word is just that. It means strictly to be glad. And I think there is an attitude of being glad for the Christian that is, can, can happen in any circumstance, right? And, and we know that. Um, it's being glad not just of every little thing, but of the, being glad in the Lord. And I think that's a big difference because some people think that your happiness and your um, spiritual you know, walk and harmony with things around you and people around you and all that depends on your circumstances, and it doesn't. It totally depends on how you find your joy, your deepest seated joy in the Lord, in Christ. And I do believe that we can have that and we do experience that. It is very possible. And to keep in mind that we live for eternal things, not just the temporary. Everywhere here, they're trying to temporarily fix somebody. That's why we spend $237 million in the state to try to help people. And I'm not saying it doesn't help some. It does. But it is not a permanent fix. Because much of it is not based at all upon um, any really what any revelation that God has given us that number one we're sinful people and much of our problems that we get into like addictions and other areas that bring about mental health issues um, are are direct result of sin maybe not your own but maybe someone else's sin around you things like that and if you aren't dealing with some of those things and the guilt that goes with those things then at best you're just temporarily trying to make it better Peter says, be sober, right? And that's opposite of the way the world treats the mental problems that people face. It's like, we're going to give you whatever it is to take the pain away and those kind of things. And I'm not saying go against what your doctor has told you. I'm, don't go there. I'm a pastor. I'm not a doctor. Don't take my medical advice that way. But I am telling you this for sure, that when it comes down to it, our deepest seated uh, help is found in the Lord. And couple that with people that can help like doctors and others it really does work and there are people out there that do that and and just keep that in mind we have a whole new tool not new but um, a tool in our toolbox as christians that others don't have and that at least should make us uh, stop and ponder that rejoice in the lord and always again i will say rejoice And I think that just is that double emphasis that Paul does so that he reminds us of what what the Lord is like. And even the hard paths of life are his. He is the one who orders our steps. That's what the Bible says. And in doing so, he also orders our stops, as someone said. And I'm glad for the times God has stopped me through some hard thing sometimes. And sometimes he's given me a good kick to get through the door that I'm supposed to go through, and he's good. He promises to make all things good, right? Romans 8, 28. And he's promised to go with us every step of the way throughout life. He is with us always, the Bible says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. A lot of things there that could be said. And Paul reminds us of this when in 2 Corinthians four seventeen he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And I have come back to that verse so many times in my life and just realized that even though it may be years down here in this life of struggle with something, it could be a health issue, 
It, it, it could be something that, you know, a depression issue, all those things that go on. It is but for a moment in the light of eternity. And look what it says here. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So all the things that happen down here that are hard, they're, they're actually producing a greater good in eternity. I can't explain all that. That's I just know what the Bible says. And I believe there's a reward for those who will by faith trust the Lord and rejoice always in the circumstances they find themselves in. He goes on to say this in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And the word gentleness there, it, it could be translated, it is translated elsewhere as forbearance or to forbear. And it is the idea of being tolerant of others, not necessarily, you know, putting up with all their sin or their doctrinal difference, those kind of things. That's not what he's talking about in that way. But he's talking about extending that graciousness, that mercy. This morning we were looking at Micah 6, 8, right? And what is required of you, you know, oh man, right? And part of that is to, to do um, justly and to love mercy. And the idea of extending a gentle hand to somebody in a world that is anything but gentle. And among the house of God to be able to do that. Forbearance is one of those words, and as it's translated here, gentleness, that is a hard word, isn't it? Because it means you're going to put up with someone that you are called to put up with, but, but not necessarily. In other words, it's, it's like extending a, a period of grace to them when they don't deserve it. Uh, there's a legal term of um, mortgage forbearance. And if you fall behind on a mortgage which you are obligated legally to pay because you've gone into a contractual agreement. If you fall behind on that, there is um, a way to get a mortgage forbearance if the lender will extend it. And it essentially says this, we're going to give you a period of time to put things in order and, and catch up or whatever or make out some, some plan. And so that idea, that's not the lender's fault. That's the borrower's fault. And yet, what is the lender doing? They're extending grace. They're doing that in, in a legal sense. As a Christian, we don't do it out of a legal constraint, but we're to put up with others. That, I think, is one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? And let's be real. Putting up with others. Uh, I, I say that a lot. Ministry would be absolutely wonderful if it wasn't for people. You know? I kid you. I love you guys, and I, you know that. But, but it's true. The, the, the things that go on in our lives as much of it is just relational it is the number one reason why missionaries come home from the field uh, they, they leave because they can't get along with their co-workers or they can't get along with uh, the people that they're ministering to um, that's the number one reason and missions uh, mission agencies put a lot of training and emphasis into helping and support into helping their missionaries forbear with one another you would think Missionaries wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah, they do, you know. Uh, that's for sure. <clears throat> Let your gentleness be known to some men. No, all men. <laughs> all men. Uh, I was convicted about this because I read it today as I was studying for this, and I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, I thought of a time just in the last week I got impatient with somebody. And... Uh, it was a stranger. They don't, I don't think they knew I was a Christian, but I wasn't acting. It, it, I didn't 
like blow my testimony. I didn't say anything bad. I didn't know that, but I was very impatient about something. And I, I had a right to be impatient by the world standards because it was um, an hour after my appointment. And I'm still waiting. And I was getting a little impatient. And I don't know the reason why it took that long. But I'm thankful to the person that I was waiting to see, that I had to go into an office to see, uh, and, and it was a government worker. Uh, I, I was thankful they were just very nice people, you know, because I probably wasn't in a very good, nice attitude when I saw them at first. And I just say this, that I, I got rebuked with it. I had to stop this afternoon and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I wasn't very, at least in my own heart, gentle with that person. I'm thankful I didn't say anything I shouldn't have said. I was glad that it all worked out. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And sometimes it it occurs to everybody. The great New England preacher Philip Brooks, he was an interesting guy, I guess, from what people describe him. He was noted for his quiet manner and his poise. He was a gentleman. And yet one day a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor back and forth, back and forth. He was like a caged lion, he wrote. He said, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? And Mr. Brooks said this, the trouble is that I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. Yep, been there, pacing the floor like an expectant father, right? And yet, God's not in a hurry. His timing is always right. William Carey labored for seven years in India before he saw his first Hindu convert. Adonira Judson, Judson in Burma, same thing. Seven years of faithful preaching before he was rewarded. Um, Western Africa, it was 14 years before one convert was received into the Christian church. In New Zealand, it took nine years. Tahiti, it was 16 years before the first harvest of souls. Thomas Kempis described that kind of patience in these words. He deserves not the name of patient who is only willing to suffer as much as he thinks proper and for whom he pleases. The truly patient man asks from whom he suffers, his superior, his equal, his inferior, but from whomever or how much or how often wrong is done to him, he accepts it all as from the hand of God and counts it gain. Counts it gain. Rejoice in the Lord always. Right? And again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known. Your graciousness be known. And uh, Philippians 2.4 says this. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That ought to be our primary task as a believer to be looking out for the interest of others as well as yourself. But that goes totally against what the, the psychology of the world is taught, how that's taught. Um, it's all about you. It's about your own self-care. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't stop and reflect and say, how am I doing, right? There's, there's all, if we don't do that, we will come undone and we won't even know why. You really have to stop and say, okay, how am I doing spiritually? But couple that with this idea that, that we have to be looking out for others and not just ourselves, right? 
Paul writes in Romans 2.4, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Forbearance? Whose forbearance? God's forbearance. And long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Aren't you glad we have a God who's gentle? So often that's the way he is. He gave me numerous opportunities. He didn't have to, and he doesn't always with everybody, but he did with me numerous opportunities to hear the gospel before I, before I said, I believe. And he was gentle with me. When, when I really, probably, if I was left up to figure that out, I would have said, hey, hit me in the head, you know? This hard head of mine. But he was gentle. He used gentle people. It's a good thing because I probably if I, I had been too scrappy to listen to him otherwise. Goodness of God leads you to repentance. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 11. Deliver those who are drawn toward death. Hold and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? But here we're instructed, very simple command in Proverbs, deliver those who are on their way to death. That should be thinking of others, right? Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, who are the elect of God? Believers, Christians. We're here. We're the elect of God. Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. We're to put those on. Bearing, or in the Old English, forbearing with one another. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. That's hard. But it's possible. And we can put on these things, these character, these attributes. They're really the perfections of God. Because in Christ, he is the one who's holy and beloved, right? Put in, he says... Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. That's all Christ's example to us, isn't it? And then bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Wow. I'm glad for that. We have to learn to live with genuine contentment. And that's what Paul surmises out of that context of what we were reading earlier in this chapter. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's another area of just the mind. Learning to be content or learning to rest in God. And uh, contentment is is really what we need. Actually, it's the only thing that will continue to give you joy is being content with such things as you have. Glad for that. Or such things as you don't have. Blessed subtraction sometimes, right? Sometimes it's good to get rid of things. Things hold us. They hold us, you know? And sometimes it's just good to say, all right, give it away. I, I think of that when Jesus told the young man, the rich young ruler, to sell all that he had and to go sell it, you know, give it to the poor. And the man went away sad because he had many possessions. 
And in a few occasions in my life, I have come across living examples of people who've taken the Lord up on that and just did that. Um, two that I can think of that just sold what they had, got down to basically living out of a suitcase. And they were some of the happiest people I ever met. It's like they would wake up in the morning and say, what are we doing today, God? Where are we going? Let's go. Grab your suitcase and go. Uh, I wish it was that easy sometimes, right? It isn't. If you're raising a family, that isn't necessarily what God's called you to do right now, okay? Get rid of everything you have. You got to be, you know, you need clothes for your kids, all that stuff, but, and a place to live. But God does provide, doesn't he? Well, we're to make sure that um, we build a wall of uh, praise and patience, but also a wall of prayer. He goes on to say, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And then he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this idea of building a, a wall of prayer about us, not only how do we gird up our minds while well, you do so with praise, right? Um, you're doing that. You're doing that also with patience as we go through life. Um, but then there's this idea of the offensive weapon that we have, which is prayer. It's both an offensive and a defensive weapon because really as we pray, we are reflecting our mind is focusing upon the Lord. I, I've told you many times and i've learned from some of you how to pray through the word of god and it's wonderful and it gets you close to god and and he says if you draw close to him he'll draw close to you but be anxious for nothing i highlighted that because probably because jack karen need to see that because that's the way it is sometimes i'm anxious over everything and i should be anxious for nothing why Back up the verse beforehand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Uh, now, what is Paul saying there when he says the Lord is at hand? The, I think the simplest part of this statement is just that, that God is with us. Why are you anxious if he's with you? Right? He's there. But his time is also near. Even if you live a long life on this earth, it is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And what you have done with Jesus Christ in those years or days or whatever intervening between the date of death and date of birth, listen, it it determines your eternal destiny. And the Lord is at hand. It's keeping that mentality that I'm not living for just the present, but for eternity. By the way, the, think about it this way too. The previous topic there, part of the, the topic of um, patience. In heaven, will you ever have to work on your patience? No. And yet, in the scripture, we're commanded, part of the fruits of the Spirit is patience, right? Do you know that's one of those areas of the Christian walk you can only work on here? You can't work on it in heaven. So why don't you work on it now and benefit from it now? You know, people don't want to be patient, but yet when you get to heaven, you will never have to be patient there. Time won't matter anymore. 
And I think of that, it's, it's something we need to be working on now, right? Anyways, the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. We're reminded that God is very much alive. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Lord is at hand, isn't he? Be anxious for nothing. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Again, that's coupled with that idea of the Lord is at hand, right? He's near. He's with us. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And by the way, so often in our more materialistic mind here, we think of God being with us in our needs that are material needs. And I think in the backdrop of the statement here, there were people that were fearful that their lives would be taken because they were following Christ or they were they were looking to possibly follow Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews is written about, really, because some were in danger of turning back. And here the writer encourages them through Jesus, who is better, right? And, and he tells them that. But he quotes here the Old Testament, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What is holding you back from service today? What is holding you back from being saved? The Lord is your helper. What can man do to me? Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. You have the tool of prayer. And that's, I've already mentioned it, but these might be kind of general praying and, and there's also specific praying and detailed praying, but it's, it's prayer. And as we do that, I think as we come to God with needs, whether they're great needs or, or stuff that may be lesser needs, we're still doing two things in our mind. We're, we're first rehearsing those needs before a God who can provide and the one who really does know our needs even before we ask but also we're reminding ourselves of the faithfulness of God when you come to the Lord before the dinner table and you say Lord thank you for your provision you're, you're really reminding yourself also that God is the one who provided it and if we don't do that we forget and then you end up like like I said once you know I was we were out at the uh, somebody's house there, and um, they had the Simpsons on way back when. It was Bart Simpson and the Thanksgiving meal, and I, that was in the background. And Bart Simpson is asked to say grace, and he says, "Well, we provided all this stuff ourselves. Thanks for nothing." Wow, that was the attitude of the writers of Bart Simpson, or whatever you know, the Simpsons. But that's probably reflective of most people's attitude around the dinner table. We provided all this ourselves. Why would I give thanks to anybody else? Until it's taken away and you don't have anything. And then you have to go. And you say, I need someone to help me. The Lord is my helper. Anyways. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word to keep there says, will guard your hearts and minds. Um, In verse 7, it means to put a garrison or build a fort around, to post a guard. And whose responsibility is that? It says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through who? Christ Jesus. So whose responsibility is it to post a guard around your mind? Jesus Christ's. So leave it with him. He's promised to do that. And then lastly, this is also coupled with it. Building a wall of purity. So, I don't know if I've outlined those, but backing up, building a wall of purity, building a wall of prayer, building a wall of patience, and building a wall of praise in this whole, this whole thing. The wall of purity. Look what he says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, you're going to live, you are living in a world where it's everything but those things, right? You look at what appears in the media, in the headlines, in our movies, and all of those things, and there's very few things that show up like that. But if you will not pull yourself away from that and start thinking on these things, your mind will go to lesser things and they will end up really the mind that is captured by sin. And when Paul writes this and he says, the simple answer to these things, right? Rejoice, right? We're to rejoice. We're to be gentle with people, being patient with them. And we're to be for, with forbearance. That's that aspect of patience. We're to make sure that um, we're also praying. And we're also making our minds pure. Not alone, because the Lord is able to purify our minds, right? Um, by the way, John seventeen seventeen, Jesus says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. If you will not get into this book and read it, you can expect that your mind will never get pure. And if you're having a hard time in purity of the mind, get in the book. Get in the book. And stay in it. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. It's a great verse, isn't it? And we are to do that. Well, we're to make sure we have those. This is just, again, a simple way to do it. And I think, my friends, there's a way to guard the mind. And we have not only in in this section... um, but throughout the scripture, as it teaches, we have other resources as well. For one thing, like when I think about we're to provoke one another to good works. We're to encourage one another. We're to um, exhort one another even more as we see the day approaching, the Bible says. And that's the one another's part. And I'm glad to be part of a fellowship of believers that provoke each other to keep on going Keep on going, my friends. Don't give up because 
the world wants to give up and they are trying to find answers and without Christ they won't. You can go through a lot when you have others around you, you know. God is good. Lord, we are grateful for your word tonight. And as we went down through